we are we have been working through the Gospel of Mark. Uh, we we are doing the series we are calling the final days of Jesus, and we are exploring the the last week of life uh, of Jesus before his death, burial, uh, resurrection. So if you have a Bible open with me in the book of Mark, we are in the ch- in chapter fourteen, and today we are exploring the verse uh, twelve to twenty five. And while you open your Bible, in our text from today, I want to give you some context before you read. So we are reading about the things that happened on Thursday, in this last week. And on the next day, on Friday, Jesus was going to be crucified. So that's the day before the crucifixion. And in this text we are reading, we have the famous Last Supper. And it was the Last Supper in many ways. It was the last meal Jesus would eat. Uh, with his disciples was the last meal that Jesus eat, would eat with his pre-glorified body and was the last and final Passover of the Old Covenant. So it's a, a very important moment. Uh, so let, let's read the text together. And yeah, Mark 14, the Last Supper. The Word of God says, And on the day, on the first day of the unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us to go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and whatever he enters, say to the master of the house. The teacher says, Where is my guest room, where I may, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a larger, a larger upper room, furnished and ready. They are prepared for, for, for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. Verse 18. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And they began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread in, into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as is, it is written of him. But oh to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Amen. So let's pray before we jump in our text. Jesus, we, we are thankful because we can have this moment. We are thankful for your word. We want to praise your name. and We want everything we are doing here, the, sing, the songs we are singing, our prayers, our scripture reading, and the exposition of your word to be something that honors you. And we want... We don't want this to be something that 
it's just a empty religion. It's just something we we do because we we enjoy doing these things. But we want to this to do this because that's what gives us the bread and the wine we need to live, God. We want to be fed by Your Word, by You, Jesus. So we ask Your Holy Spirit to be working here in, in this moment. And that we can see the, the more impress, impressive miracle someone can, can see in this earth. That's the, a change of nature, a change of heart. More impressive than giving new eyes, new legs, or all the kind of healing, or open, open the sea, is to see someone born again. And having a new heart, a heart that can see the beauty in you, the beauty in the cross, and wants to live a life for you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, the first thing we need to, to learn from this text is like what's happening here? What, what is this Passover? What, what Jesus and the disciples are celebrating here? So, because in knowing this, it's essential to understand the meaning of the, thing, the things Jesus is doing here and the things he said. And it's important for us so we can apply it to our lives, the things we are learning here. So, the last week of Jesus is as well the last week, uh, is the week that leads to, to a very important Jewish festival called the, the Feast of the Unleavened Breads. And we have the Passover to understand what the Passover is, we need to go back to the beginning of the Bible in the book of Exodus. In Exodus, is the second book of the Bible, and in Exodus we learn that the Jewish people, they were slaves in Egypt, and for centuries, until one day God calls a man, Moses, and he sends, them, he sends him to lead the people out of Egypt to the land that God has prepared for them and was promised to them uh, and to their forefathers. Moses brings the message of God to Pharaoh, who was the king of Egypt, and he says, let my people go. But Pharaoh refused it, and then God brought ten plagues to the land of Egypt. The tenth plague, and the last one, of course, was the worst one, and it was the death of all the firstborn in Egypt, men and animals. And the night of the first Passover is the night of this first plague. But God gave instructions to his people and how to act and how to protect themselves from this plague and from, from the judgment of God who was coming, that was coming upon the land. So if you, if you read, we're going to have here in the screen, Exodus 12, verse 20, uh, 21 to 22. The, that's what the word of God says. The, then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin. And touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. So when the Lord, we need to, to understand this, who passed through the, the land of uh, uh, Egypt and claiming the, the, the lives of all the firstborn was, was the Lord itself. And when, when the, he would pass through the, the land of Egypt, claiming the life of all firstborn, he would pass over the households in which the blood of the lamb is found. That's why it's called the Passover. 
So the blood of the lamb saved the Israelites from the death on this night. And from this day on, every firstborn son of the Israelites belonged to the Lord and had to be redeemed with a sacrifice. And this is a very frequent theme in the Bible. So in the night when the Lord passed through Egypt, all the firstborn children of the Egyptians, they died, but not of the Israelites. The judgment of God changed Pharaoh's mind, and he released the people of God to go. And then they leave Egypt, and Pharaoh tried once again to stop them, but he and his arms were killed by, by the waters of the Red Sea after the people of God have, has passed through the, the waters because God has opened a way, a way for them. And then when they are safe on the other side, God then instituted the Passover as a celebration they should observe every year for forever. And the Passover meal consisted of three elements, basically. A fire-roast lamb. So the lamb they killed to use the blood to, to put on their doors was ro fire-roasted, and they would eat the, the lamb. Uh, bitter herbs and unleavened bread. So basically it was those, th these three elements. And this meal is a celebration of the Jewish exodus of Egypt, the, uh, their freedom from slavery. And it's a way of remembering what God did for them to remember his grace, his love, and his covenant with his people. So that's what we are seeing in our text today. Jesus commanded his, his disciples to prepare the Passover for them. And another important point is that the Passover is one of, this, uh, of the three pilgrimage festivals we have in scriptures, uh, during which the Jews, they are commanded to travel to Jerusalem and celebrate together those festivals uh, in, in, inside the city. And that's why in our passage we see Jesus who was in Bethany, that's a city close to Jerusalem. He sends his disciples to go into the city, inside the city, and prepare everything. Because he was obeying the, the, the God's commands in how to celebrate this, this thing. Um, and it's very significant to observe that in the same way the Passover meal was the last meal and that's important. It was the last meal that the Jewish people ate before leaving Egypt. It's the last meal that Jesus is going to eat with his disciples. And actually with, with, with his non-glorified body, as I said. And in the same way, the Passover marks the transition of the people of God to a new moment in the history of redemption. Uh, it, it happened in this time as well. So the Passover meal was eaten before the people of Israel they left Egypt. And they ceased to be slaves. And the Passover now with Jesus preceded the death and the resurrection of Christ and our consequent freedom from the bondage of sin and the devil. So in the same way the Israelites, they were saved from death. Now we and how our humanity is saved from death and eternal death and spiritual death. So... Let's go back to verses 12 and, and to 16. And now you have the context to understand what they, they were really doing. So I want just to read it again with you. So verse 12 says, On the first day of the unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us to go and prepare to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples said to them, Go into the city, a man carried a jar of water, will meet you, follow him. And whenever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. Then prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. So 
it's, it's important to understand some points here, some com comments on what you just read. The Passover and the, the Feast of the Unleavened Breads, they are two different things. The, the Feast of the Unleavened Breads is a seven-day feast, and that is started by the Passover. The Passover is a, a 24 hours a day event. And the disciples asked Jesus where they should go to prepare the Passover. So this is a specific meal for the first day of the Feast of the Unleavened Breads. And Jesus gives them some precise instructions. He sent two of the, his disciples, not the twelve, and said to them, go into the city, so that's why they need to go inside the city, and you're going to find a man carrying a jar of water. He will meet you, and then you follow him. Whatever he enters, you're going to say to the master, so he had, they had a specific message. They should, they should say, the teacher says, where is my guest room? Where I may eat the Passover with my, my disciples. And Jesus said he will show a larger a large upper room, furnished and ready. And if you remember, this is similar to what Jesus did when he arrived in Jerusalem. When he uh, sent his disciples, he gave them instructions to find the donkey he would ride to enter the city. So some people believe that what we, we are seeing here is Jesus using his supernatural power to predict things or even to orchestrate the whole situation, uh, which is a possibility. But I don't think that's the point Mark is doing here. He doesn't uh, seem like he's trying to show us the power of Jesus or some miracle in this passage. So we could, without any problems, believe that all of this was something that Jesus prearranged with those people in the city. Uh, it's interesting to know that a man carrying a jar of water it seems like an odd sign for us today. But apparently, in, in that culture, usually just women would carry jars of water. And men some, from a specific Jewish sect, the Essenes. So this was a good sign. It wouldn't be confusing for the disciples or hard to spot. And the disciples had a specific message they should tell the master of the house. They, they say, the, the teacher says. So this master of the house, he's... He should, should know, like, who is, who is this teacher. And he says, where's my guest room? So it's something like Jesus claims to, to have this place prepared for him. And, and where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. And then, interesting enough, the master of the house would have an upper room already pre-prepared for them. With all the furnishing and ready to be used. So we learn from this text that everything worked exactly the way Jesus told them, and it would, uh, it, it would. And those disciples prepared the Passover, those two disciples, maybe they were, they were the best cook in the, in the group. I guess that's why Jesus sent them. I'm just kidding. And they prepared this meal, and then we see like the, the other disciples come in, they have this feast together. So then we go to verse 17, and they start having the celebration, and Jesus brings some really sad news. It's, it's, it's like the worst news you can bring like when you're at the table, like trying to celebrate something. So let's read verse 17 and 18. Uh, I don't have it here. We can read in the Bible. Uh, it says, and when it was evening, so we remember like for the Jewish, when it's evening, it, it's the change of the day. The, the, the Jewish day is not like from midnight to midnight, but it's from evening to evening. Uh, he came with the twelve, and as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. 
So it's really interesting to see that Jesus, different from probably most of us, did not avoid this topic seeking to not ruin the celebration. Some people would say, man, Jesus, you could say this later. We are trying to celebrate here, having a good time. But Jesus did not do that. But of course, it's not just because he doesn't, he's trying to ruin the, the celebration. But we need to understand that all that is happening here is, is it the same night that Jesus was betrayed and taken to be crucified. So in Mark 14, verse 10, we learned last week that Jesus, Judas already had a deal with the chief priest to betray Jesus. So that's the text I have here. So Mark 14, same chapter, verse 10 says, Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went uh, to the chief priests in order to betray him uh, to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he saw the opportunity to betray him. So as you're going to see in the next two weeks, uh, right after this meal, Jesus and the disciples spend some time in prayer. And then Judas, uh, uh, he comes and betrays Jesus, and Jesus is arrested. But what I want you to notice here are two things. First, here it starts to be laid out the price of our, our redemption. Jesus, in his last meal, he, he was feasting with one man who would betray him, Judas. One who would deny him, Peter. And another ten who would abandon him. And he knew that. So Mark 14, verse 26 to 31, that we're going to study next week, says, And when they had sung a hymn, that's the, the end of, the, the, of this, this meal, this Passover, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, You, you all fall away, for it is, it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter said to him, Even though they all follow you, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crowns twice, you deny me three times. But he said emphatically, I, I, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Uh, so we see here that Jesus... He knew everything that was going to happen. So that's why you need to understand the Passover is not just a celebration, a moment to have a good time, but it's a meal of grace. When we look at the first Passover, those people, they were not celebrating how life was great. How They were not celebrating their accomplishments as a people, as a nation. But they were eating a meal that represented the grace of God, sparing them from death. From the judgment. And their salvation, salvation of their pitiable state of slavery. They were slaves. They did not deserve it. God did not own them anything. And they did not escape death because they were more righteous than the, the, the Egyptians. But because God had mercy on them. And provided them a way to escape. The blood of the Lamb. And in the same way Jesus invited he stable these 12 men, not because they deserve it, not because they are special men. No, it was Jesus' grace towards them. And those 12 men, they, they represent us. They represent the church, people that Jesus invited to his table, not because of our merits, not because he saw something good in us, but because he had grace on us. 
even though we would constantly fall, even knowing that maybe some of us betray him or will betray him, betray the church, maybe knowing that some of us would deny him in our actions, words, and our lives, or maybe we are one of the things we are just afraid to stand for him and suffer for him, and we just abandon Jesus in our lives. So I want you to see that. I want you to see that Jesus loves them. And Jesus loves even the one who betrays him and rejects him, Judas. In, in verse 12, he says, he said to them, it is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as is written of him. But owe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. If you read about this moment in all the Gospels, you see that it suggests that Judas was probably seated really close to Jesus because he was dipping his bread in the same dish as Jesus. And Jesus was there side by side with him, had him very close, even though he was a traitor. Would you love someone like this? Can you imagine yourself at Christmas dinner or Thanksgiving dinner or something you consider to be a special meal for you, sitting shoulder to shoulder with someone who is plotting to betray you and send you to death on the same night? And sometimes people, they give much attention to the fact that Jesus predicted the betrayal. But the most amazing thing here is that Jesus is telling them this at this time. Wasn't him just showing he knows things. He knows things. But he was giving Judas an opportunity. He was saying to, to Judas there, I, I know what you're going to do. I know what you did. And yet, I invite you to sit at my table. I brought you close to me. And he had the chance to repent. To turn away from his sin. Before everyone. All the disciples, they were asking, is it me? But he knew it was him. And he had the chance to repent. And Jesus here was not rubbing in Judah's face his sin intentions. But he was saying, I know, I know everything. And there is a place in my table for you. You can repent. You You can turn away from your sin. And when Jesus said all these things, it's not a threat. It is, it is a warning. He's saying, the consequence for me, for me of what you're doing is just the fulfillment of what's written. I, I'm leaving the, 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 the will of God. But for you, Judas, for you, the consequences are so bad that it would be better if you had not been born. So church, there is nothing you do or you're planning to do or you are going to do it and you don't know yet, that God doesn't know. And He loves you still. And He invited you to His table. Still. That's, the, the other 11 disciples, they understood that in the future. And they turned from their sin, they turned from, from their weakness, and they became 
the men we, we know from the Bible who gave their lives for the gospel for Jesus. But Judas rejected Jesus. He rejected the opportunity to repent. And he found death. And the question is, where are you in this story? We are not Jesus. We are not the hero of this story. Are you you're one of the eleven who is willing to repent, to let Jesus work through you? Or you can be Judas who just hide your sin and keep going the same direction. And you're going to find that. So when you sin, remember that before you sin, Jesus gave his body and shed his blood for you. He prepared escape for you. You deserve death, and you have nothing to offer, offer him. Slaves have nothing to offer to the creator of the universe. But he gave everything for you, to you. So every time we eat the Lord's Supper, as a church, we need to remember that. We need to consider the fact that there is a place for you at the table. And we need to value this. And we need to listen to Jesus' call to repentance. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27 to 28. He says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilt concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. Then, and so eat the bread of the bread and drink of the cup. The Lord's table is, is, is this place in which you sit with Jesus. He knows all your sin. He knows all your evil plans. He knows your hearts. He knows your intentions. He knows your fears. He knows your weaknesses. He knows everything. And he calls us to examine ourselves. To confess our sin. And be forgiven by him. And strengthened by him. And I think that's one of the most powerful things we can learn from this meal. Is that Judas was there. And he had the chance. Hours before he, he, he did the worst choice. He would, he would desire to not be born. So we, we, we need to understand that. We need to value the place you have at the table with Jesus. Now we go to verse 22 to 27. Where we we'll see that Jesus is not giving a new meaning to the Passover, as some people say. But he's giving the full meaning of the Passover. So I, I want us to, to read it again. And as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing, broke it. And gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when they had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank of it. And he said to, to them, this is my blood of, of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that, then, that day when I drink, in, drink new in the kingdom of God. Paul in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verse 7 says, uh, cleanse it out of the old leaven that you may be a new lamp, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So what is happening here is that Jesus is explaining them 
that he is the fulfillment of the Passover and the things he's going to do. And there are basically two things. The bread we eat, he's saying, this is my body, the body of the Messiah. Uh, the, the, the leaven in the Jewish culture would see as a, a metaphor or a figure for sin. So the bread without leaven is, is, a, is a bread without sin. Is this representation. And Jesus is saying, this, this bread, this element without sin is my flesh. Because he never sinned in his human body. So the perfect bread that nourishes us and gives us the strength to leave Egypt is Jesus. And to leave sin and death or, or slavery from those things is Jesus. And the wine we drink is not the blood of the animal. It doesn't represent the blood of the animal, the, the lamb, but it's, it's the, the blood of the lamb of God. It's Jesus' blood that marks our lives and frees us from the judgment to come. So when the Lord, the Lord one day, he'll pass once again through all humanity, judging everyone, all the living and the dead. And he will pass over those who have the mark of the blood of the Lamb of God. And for the ones who does not have the mark, they will have the same as the Egyptians had, death. But this time eternal death. So when we eat the Lord's Supper as a church, the same way as Israel, we remember what God did for us in the past. In our case, we remember what Jesus did for us. We consider the present in light of the grace given to us. And we look forward to the future, being reminded that we were freed from slavery, but we are freed with a promise. We have a promise waiting for us. So I want to quickly go through these three points. So the first is the, 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 the Lord's Supper is a sacred moment of remembrance. In the Gospel of Luke chapter 22, when we read the description of the same, the same scene, we, we can learn some other lessons and other details I want us to look today. So Luke says, And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, The cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And then 1 Corinthians 11, 26, Paul says, for, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So church, the Lord's Supper is something to be done constantly by, by the church, by his disciples, to remember and proclaim his death. So in the same way, Israel was called to remember how God has provided for them deliverance from judgment and release from slavery, the church remembers that the death of Jesus, the giving of his body, is what delivers us from the wrath of God that is coming upon the human race. And it is it's his death that delivers us from eternal death. And it's the death of Jesus that gives us freedom. So we need to remember that in the same way the Israelites, they were slaves by birth. This, this generation of Israelites, they, they were slaves by birth. We are born slaves of sin and the devil. We are in the same condition, but worst one, in a spirit, spiritual slavery. We need to remember that our freedom 
had a price and it was not paid for by us. We need to remember that we had nothing to offer to God. He had no interest in anything we could give him. What could actually live offer to the creator of everything? We need to remember his mercy in saving a people who were not even important to the eyes of this world. We need to remember that we can just be a people because he made us a people. And he gave us a new identity. We were former slaves. A slave is marked by obeying and following the desires of their masters. And our masters were sin and Satan. And that's what marked our lives before Jesus. But now he calls us to be under his lordship. The lordship of the creator. And by obedience, we become his representatives in this earth. That's our new identity. So the pastor is not just about remembering what Jesus did for us, but he need to cause us to remember who we were before he did what he did. Remember that anything you are or you will be is not by your own merit. And remember that we own everything to God. But we need to consider the present. And this point is exactly what I said previously about Judas and all the disciples. The Lord's table is this moment when by considering what the Lord has done for us, we consider our lives and we consider the way we are living right now and we examine ourselves. And if you are living in a manner that's not worthy of the gospel, worthy of the sacrifice of Jesus, so we confess, we seek forgiveness, and we seek strengthening to not keep sinning. But one thing I want to add to this point is a, as a brief reflection uh, on the presence of Jesus on the communion, the, the Lord's Supper. So that's one question some people can ask. Like how Jesus is present in the Lord's Supper today? Because we know like in this supper, Jesus was there physically, bodily. But how, how Jesus is present today? So we have three ma major views. Uh, the first one is the Roman Catholic view. They believe the bread and the wine actually become the body and the blood of Jesus. In a process they call transubstantiation. Is the first word there. So in a very simple way, what they believe is that when the priest consecrates the elements, despite of keeping the external aspect of bread and wine, the real substance their present is the body and the blood of Christ. So they believe uh, a, a, a miracle happens in this moment, that uh, uh, you have the aspect of, blood, uh, of bread and wine, but you have the substance, the reality here, there is, is the, the physical body of Christ. So they believe the sacrifice is repeated in some sense every time the Mass is celebrated. So in the, the Protestant Reformation, the Reforms question this formulation, and from the Protestant Reformation, you have basically two major understandings. The Lutherans, they believe in something called the consubstantiation. Uh, is the second word there. Which means that the substance of the body and the blood of Jesus coexists with the substance of the bread and the wine in communion. Something they summarize by saying it's in, with, and under the elements. And the rest of the Reformers, they believe in the symbolic in the spiritual presence of Christ in the, in the Lord's Supper. So the Catholic view and the Lutheran view, 
the Lutheran view, in, in some sense, take the sentence, this is my body and this is my blood, in a very literal sense. But in our view, they fail to recognize the symbolic character of Jesus' statements here. Jesus spoke in symbolic terms like this everywhere in the Gospels. He said, for example, I am the true vine. He said, I am the door. And we know it has a symbolic meaning. Jesus is not a vine and he's not a door. In the same way, when he said he, uh, that he, the bread in his body is in accordance with something, something he says in John 6. Oh, I don't have here. So John 6, verse 41. He says, So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. So we have this Jesus statement. He said, I am the bread who came down from heaven. In the same way he said, I'm the door and I'm the true vine. So in the same way he said, he said those things, here he's saying he's the bread who came from heaven. And here in the Passover, he used the same figure of speech, saying this bread is my body. But he's doing the, 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 the figure in the opposite direction. Instead of saying I'm the bread, he said the bread is my body. So other than that, we need to consider the implications of saying that Jesus' body, or in other words, his human nature, is actually present in the communion. Because Jesus has two na natures. He's fully man and he's fully God. His divine nature can be omnipresent. He can be present everywhere at the same time. But the human nature of Jesus, like ours, can be just present at, in one place at a time, as we see in the Gospels. So when we see that, we say that Jesus is bodily present in the communion, we are saying that his human nature is being omnipresent because it's a lot of places at the same time. So we are mixing the two natures of Jesus. So that's why I personally believe, and a lot of people who came from the Reformation, they believe in the symbolic and the spiritual presence of Christ in the communion. Well, but when we say the bread and the, the wine, they are symbols, it does not mean they are empty symbols of a real thing. So we believe the reality is conjoined with the symbol. Let, let me explain that. A statue, for example, in, in remembrance of someone, is an empty symbol. There is nothing there about the person other than the image that resembles the person. That's an empty symbol. But let's take, for example, the wedding day. All the weddings, they, independent of your culture, I guess, are full of symbols. We have, for example... In our, our weddings, we have the white dress. We have the man waiting for his bride in the altar. The father bringing uh, his, his daughter to, to him. All the people present there are testimonies of this union. And so on. Have a lot of, it's, it's very symbolic. And all these things are, are symbolic, but not empty symbols. They are a visible representation of, for example, the purity of the bride, the blessing of the parents, and the approval of the community. So in the same way, the Lord's Supper is this meal in which a lot of things are made visible, and the presence of Christ spiritually, in, in a real sense, is there. And those elements, when we, we eat them with faith, they are means of grace of God in our lives, and in our bodies, and in our souls. So when we approach to eat the Lord's Supper as a church, we, we can be assured that we are declaring the truth that of Christ's death, we are affirmed in our participation, the benefits of Christ's death, 
We receive spiritual nourishment and strengthening in our bodies. We make visible the unity of the believers. And personally, I, I have Christ affirming his love for me individually. I have Christ affirming all the blessings of salvation reserved for me. And we all personally, we affirm and, or reaffirm our faith in Christ. So the Lord's Supper is a real thing. When you say it's symbolic, it doesn't mean it's empty. It's not just a mere religious ceremony. It is as real as any ceremony you consider important. Weddings, anniversaries, graduations, or so on. And one thing I find really intriguing is the fact that when we ask, how is Jesus present in the Lord's Supper? Sometimes we miss the fact that the Bible calls the church the body of Christ. So when we gather as a body, Christ promises to be present there. Present there. So we know that He's spiritually present there. And more than that, we are His body. And He's present through us in a very real and palpable sense. Papable sense. So we as Christians, we need to learn to see Christ in our brothers and sisters in the church gathering. We need to learn to discern the body of Christ. And that's really important in, in the moment we are living. Because with all this thing about online church and we can be church all separated. But when we gather as a church, we are in the presence of Jesus Christ. But the, the Lord's Supper is as well a sacred moment of hope. When we look to the future. Look forward to the future. And we we are going to end our meditation in this text. And I want to talk about the the Lord's Supper in, in the sense of our future hope. So in the, in the last verse of our text, we have the, the following. Truly I say to you, I not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of heaven. And something similar to what we find in Paul in the verse we just read. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink, drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So the Lord's Supper is the declaration of Jesus' death, yes. But there is a consummation of our fulfillment for this sacrament. And it's Jesus' return. So Jesus was in this moment declaring not just his death, but he was, he was declaring his second coming. So when and that he will eat this supper again with his church in, in the kingdom of God. So that's what we have in the book of Revelation. I won't read the whole chapter, but Revelation 19 talks about this. Verse 9 says, And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So every time we eat the bread and the wine and drink the wine, we are declaring our future hope. We are not just declaring his death, but we are declaring the benefits of his death. One, one day we'll all be seated again at his table. But this time we would be not anymore this bittersweet meal where we face our failures, failures and the price that had to be paid to cover for it. But we will be feasting with our Savior in our perfect bodies, free from sin, paraphrasing Martin Luther King Jr. when he says, free at last, 
free at last. Thank, thank God Almighty, we are free at last. That will be us when we'll be with Jesus in this final Lord's Supper. We'll be not any more strangers on this earth, but this earth will be perfect. We'll be made, made perfect as our bodies. And we're going to fit really well here. We will not have the same, same feeling and sense that we are strangers in this earth. And we'll be finally free from this body of death. That's what Paul says. So in the same way, the Jewish Passover was an anticipation of what we do today as a church. The Lord's Supper we celebrate today as a church is anticipation of the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's a taste of the eternal life. And we need to learn to enjoy it. You have a glimpse of heaven. Sometimes you just eat as it was just anything. And to finish the sermon, I want us to pay attention to one last aspect of the Lord's Supper that I, I, I consider to be very important. So I want you to read John 6 with me. It says, The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Here Jesus says, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, drink his blood, you have no life in you. Think about this. Because here said the Jews, they disputed among themselves, how can this man give us his, his flesh to eat? And that's the same thing when we start having all these theological discussions to understand like how Jesus is present there, blah, blah, blah. And it, those are important things. But Jesus is trying to point them here to a different direction. Friends, Jesus is not something... It's not just a thing for you to know about. Jesus is, is to be devoured. That's what he's saying here. Uh, for example, you can know everything about a loaf of bread. You can see it from all the sides. You can smell it. You can wait, measure. You can touch the te texture. You can listen to its crack and know how crunchy it is. But if you never eat of the bread, you never know what the bread is. And you you never know you never you never will be nourished by it. And I know many people who are like this with Jesus. They know so many things. They had a they have a lot of information, but they never devoured him. 
And the, the, the Lord's Supper needs to be this reminder. That Jesus is not something for you to know about. But he is someone for you to commune, commune with. To be fed by him. To be satisfied by him. And church, don't get me wrong. Those who know me know how much I value studying and know everything I know I can about Jesus in the Bible. But we cannot allow ourselves to know Jesus just as a theory in our minds. So going back to the beginning of our conversation, for Israel in, in Egypt, wouldn't be enough just knowing and believing in their minds that the blood of the Lamb would save them. They had to sacrifice the Lamb, to eat the Lamb, eat the bread, to paint their doors with the blood, everything. And just then, they walked towards the promised land. They were called to action, to participation. And it's the same for us today. One of the signs you, you have eaten of the, the body of Christ is your participation in the body. You eat of his body and you become his body. So the church is not just essential to the Christian life. The church is who we are. It's who we become when we eat of his body and drink of his blood. And that's why people throughout history and all around the world, they put their lives at risk and even die instead of neglecting the gathering of the church to worship Jesus. Because they become the body. They cannot be different from that. And my question for you today is, have you ever truly eaten the Lord's Supper? Have you ever eaten of the flesh of Jesus and drunk his blood? And a, a second sign, church, once you taste Christ, you don't want anything else. You don't exchange it for anything. You cannot live without it. That's why the, the, the apostles, they say in, in John 6, 6 3, they say, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have no place to go. So once you taste of Jesus, you don't want anything else. You don't exchange it for anything, and you cannot live without it. So I want you to reflect. I know you, you probably have participating of the Lord's table in other churches, maybe in our church, in our life. But have you ever really participated in the Lord's Supper? And what Jesus is saying is, there is a place for you at the table. Come and feast. Amen? Let's pray.